scene. And next week, we'll begin digging deeper. But here's the scene, really. I have been in a hostage relationship where you feel trapped, where you feel controlled by another person. Hostage relationships, after all, at their core, really most often are about control. For the hostage taker, emotionally, there's something wrong inside of them or there's something wrong around their life, and so they're going to fix it. And to fix it, they want to control something around them or they want to control someone around them, and sometimes they want to control everything around them. And the tools or the weapons of the hostage taker emotionally in relationships are the tools, the weapons really that they have available to them. They use guilt and shame. They use dependence. They will use pressure, and they will also use threats. Um, criticism and anger, all kinds of things, emotional distance, but they'll also sometimes be too emotionally close as well. They'll use money, gifts, favors, conflicts, peace, words, but they will also even use silence. And in my own life, there was a time when I was unhealthy and I was feeling like my life was out of control. I probably had some hostages of my own. Now, I have since tried to make amends for that, and I have tried to, to move beyond that season in my life. But I have also been on the other side, where I have been held emotionally hostage by another person in a relationship, and many of you have as well. So, we know, many of us, what it feels like for someone to try to control us and to try to manipulate and, us. And very often, they seem to be the, the hostage taker we're, we're speaking of. They seem to be stuck in that uh, controlling and manipulating role because very often, there's just something missing inside of them. There's just something that's not there. And it's something that over the course of their life, it just, for whatever reason, it, it, it didn't develop. And it, it should have developed, it was maybe some type of a critical character trait, um, a God-desired trait that just was never developed, and, and it was never grown. And as a result of that, um, the problem grows when they, the hostage taker will not um, own that character deficit that, that they have, or, or that I have, or that we have, that we, we just won't own that character deficit. And the result of that very often, most often, in fact, is that we can't fix what we refuse to own. It's kind of that old saying, you know, you, you have to accept that you, the first step to, to recovery, you have to accept that you have a problem. Well, there's a lot of truth in that. And so the hostage taker, in many cases, refuses to accept that character deficit. They can't fix what they won't own. And as a result of that, their inability to accept and to fix what they won't own of their own character um, deficit, their problem becomes our problem. Now, we want to make sure we're clear on one thing. We're not, we don't want this to, to be superficial. This entire series, and, and this morning, but this entire series, we do not want this to be a superficial uh, teaching series. We're not talking about a hostage relationship and how it corresponds with our happiness. We're not talking about a hostage relationship making us unhappy or making us more miserable. That, that's a very superficial way of looking at it. We are actually this morning, and as we go through this series, we're talking about something that's much deeper 
than just unhappiness. Because God has a much, much bigger concern than just making sure that our day's happy. In fact, if we really, if we look at the, at the uh, totality of Scripture, I'm not even convinced that God cares that much about us having a happy day, as, as being a part of His plan. I mean, He does want us to be happy, but in terms of how that all fits into His plan, I'm not even sure that our happiness is part of His plan if we look at the New Covenant. So what that tells me and what that tells us is that there's something a lot bigger than just my unhappiness and my being miserable as a result of a hostage relationship that's at stake. And what that is is this idea that I hope we can all grab onto and we can all gravitate to this morning that God in some way has a mission for all of us. He's given us a mission. And a big part of that we find in 2 Corinthians chapter 5.15. So this we're fixing to read, this scripture that we're about to read, it's up on the screen. This is Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth. So he's writing to the church at Corinth for the second time that we're aware of. And he says, he, speaking of Jesus, died for everyone that, so that those who receive his new life. So those that have become a follower of Jesus. So that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, so here's the shift. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So God has a mission for everyone who's made the decision to follow him. It's this, living for Christ. And that's it. That's our mission. That's our purpose. Another uh, place in the New Covenant where we see that is in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. It says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. That literally means to seek and to keep on seeking. So if we're in a hostage relationship, if I'm in a hostage relationship, there's a lot more at stake than just my happiness. Just me being miserable. My God-given mission is at stake when I find myself trapped in a hostage relationship. It's not just my happiness. When I wake up, when I wake up in the morning, at least this is the way it should be, God's agenda is much more important than my agenda. And we can't let anything or we shouldn't let anything hold us hostage from being able to accomplish that. See, Christ didn't die for us so that we could feel safe and secure in knowing that we'll be with him forever. And we're not underscoring that in any way. That is certainly a part of the deal. We become a follower of Jesus and we are eternally secure knowing that we're going to live with him forever. We're not taking that away at all. But in the 21st century church, American church for sure, we really tend to just focus on that. And once we become a follower of Jesus, it's just about, well, I'm going to heaven when I die, and I'm going to live with him forever. And that's really the end of it. But the new covenant tells us that Christ died for us so that we can actually start living for him instead of ourselves. Now, we don't have time today. We probably do not have time in this entire series, honestly. But we don't have time today to really teach about what um, our mission is today. We, we don't have that, that amount of time. But I, I do know this, and I can say this without question. If you're alive today, and I would ask everyone right now, if there's someone around you that is not alive, let us know. We need to know that. We have people in place that can help with that. But if you're alive right now, if you're alive today, you're breathing, your heart's beating, that means that God actually, he has a purpose for your life. And while we can't really 
talk about that and get too deep into that conversation and that, that teaching right now, I would encourage you, there's a great book. It's, it's very well known, Rick Warren, A Purpose Driven Life, a great read. Relatively, it's an older book, but I would encourage you to read that. If you que- you're wondering, you know, what, what, <laughs> just laughing at the older book, 90s, 90s. and that being older, I know. It I is. Thought and about it that. is, you it, are it, correct. It's, it's an older book by our standards, but it was written in the 90s, uh, but it's a great read. And I'm That's sorry. when I was born. Yeah. I mean, I can't believe in the 90s? it. Yeah. And um, turn the nine over, maybe, and we'll get the 60s decade. But anyway, yeah, I know, it's crazy, right? So, but if you read that book, it's a great uh, read into a purpose-driven life. But as we relate to that mission and to that purpose, God has actually called us, all of us, to identify some very specific people in our life that He wants us to pass on what He He's teaching us throughout our journey. In fact, Paul writes another letter to his protege. Would that be a good word? His protege. One of his protégés. That would be a word. Timothy. And it's, to our knowledge, the second letter that he wrote to Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. Paul writes, You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable sources. Now, he's speaking to Timothy, teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Yeah, so here's what Cole is saying with this verse, that it's a big point now. If someone has you or me in a hostage relationship emotionally, then we can't find the time and we can't invest the time with these trustworthy people that Paul is talking about because someone is trying to control us. And the person who uh, has us in a hostage relationship is keeping us from God's purpose and from God's mission. And as Cole said, happiness, that's not the problem. My happiness, that's not the concern. The real concern is not being able to fulfill our God-given mission. That's the problem. Now, most of us, if we're being held in in a hostage relationship, most of us, we kind of, we know if that's the case. But here's a big point. Just because someone bugs us or irritates us does not mean that they are a hostage taker. When someone is, though, when they are trying to take us hostage in a relationship, we can feel that control. We can feel that constant struggle of them trying to gain control over our lives. And we know, we sense that's not right. We feel that um, something's going on, that we're trapped. We feel stuck. Um, maybe, you know, some examples of, of what that might look like, how that hostage taker may, some methods that they may use, or kind of what that might look like. And these are just examples. You may uh, can relate to some of these. You may not, and that's okay. We're just giving some examples. But maybe uh, the person that you're thinking of or that you have had experience with, maybe they drink too much. Or maybe it's someone that they're very withdrawn or they're very distant. Uh, maybe this person or a group of people blame you for everything. Maybe nothing that you do is good enough. Or Possibly they continually and habitually lie to you or lie about you. Yeah, it could be a spouse who keeps putting you in financial jeopardy. It might be a person who just won't carry their load in life or in a relationship. 
Uh, it may be someone who's always stirring up conflict or maybe someone who has a temper that's just out of control. Someone who maybe just spends too much all the time. Or it could be a person that like talks about people and then uh, they talk about decisions other people are making, talk about other people and their life behind their back. It could be um, maybe somebody that all they do is play video games. You know, that person that never leaves their room, they're, they're constantly playing video games. Or maybe, uh, maybe they call too often. They're always bugging you. They're always calling you. Possibly um, they're, con they're dropping by, too, by for a visit too often. <laughs> Mother-in-law's right. Ah, am I right, mother-in-law? My mother-in-law's not here today, so I can say that. Right? She's probably going to listen on SoundCloud this week. So, but she'll have time to cool down by the time she uses. But maybe, and I'm just kidding, just joking, but maybe not for you. I don't know. But maybe they just drop by too often. Maybe they have a problem with internet pornography. Maybe all they do is criticize. That's it. It's constant criticizing. Maybe they never stop complaining. Maybe they never stop condemning. Maybe they just never listen to you. Yeah, it could be someone who's just so moody in your relationship that everything is always unpredictable. Uh, it could be a person that just doesn't manage their money and they just don't pay their bills on time. Uh, it may be someone who has an active addiction. Uh, it could be as simple as just someone that you would say always being able to describe as unreliable and not responsible could be a person that just won't keep a job. Now, listen, this is just a short list of potential hostage takers. Right. So, again, we, we all find ourselves in different experiences, and our journey's all different. But one thing that is consistent, regardless of the type of hostage taker we've dealt with in our life and in our experience and in our journey, we respond to them and we try to deal with them often the same. We negotiate with them. You negotiate with a hostage taker. Hostage confrontation, hostage negotiation. And we try, and we try, and we try, and we continue very often to try. But eventually, in that relationship, very often, we just we give up because sometimes it just seems easier to just remain their hostage. It's just easier to just say, you know what, I'm just going to stay in the chair, tied up, and you just, you do whatever. So as we springboard into today, our verse that we want to uh, kind of use as our, our spring into today is uh, a couple of scriptures from the Proverbs. Proverbs 16, 25, and 14, 12. There's a path before each person that seems right, looks good, seems right, seems like the right call, but it ends in death. So I'm going to read it again. There's a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. So today, really what we want to focus on are the things that we have tried in these hostage negotiations. So we could have gone a lot of different directions this morning. Uh, there's a lot to, to, to cover, but really what we just want to focus on and what we want to kind of put our blinders on to everything else we want to think about the things that we have tried in our hostage relationships that have not worked. They just didn't work. Today, we want to identify where we have kind of found ourselves trapped in a cycle of hostage negotiations as we're negotiating for our release. And then we, we, just, we just want to kind of look at them and we want to look at each of those tactics and see where they went wrong. So we've got about... We've got the top 10 list is 10. what we've got. Mm -hmm. We've got 10. All of you may not 
relate to all ten of these? Some of you may say, none of those ten fit me. That's okay, there's more, I'm, I'm sure. But these are ten really good general um, hostage negotiating tactics that we felt like kind of were worth mentioning today. Yeah, pretty common. So let me start with the first one. Here's the first hostage negotiation technique that, that many of us try, and it is we try to reason with them. Because after all, I mean, listen, that's how we function, you know? For most of us, if, if someone has been hurt by us, we listen to them, we evaluate our lives based upon what we're hearing, and we look for ways to do better. We want to rectify things, we want to make amends, because after all, we, we want to become a better person. We don't want to hurt other people. Let me give you an example. This week, Wednesday, um, in fact, I, I, went I had back. <laughs> no idea this was going to be in the script. Uh, when I first went over it, I was I, it was not in there. And I went back and added this morning, it. There it is. Because here's the thing: Wednesday, <laughs> Cole and I were in a conversation, and I, in that conversation, um, I acted in a way, and I said some things that caused Cole, rightly so, to fume. He got really mad, and I could tell. And very quickly, I noticed that. I stepped back from that. I recognized what I did. I recognized it was wrong. And immediately, I went back to him. And I went back to, to the person who was there to witness it. And I apologized. And, and I began that process of making things right. Because I told him, listen, I said, here's what I did wrong. I recognized that. And I told him how I'm working to get that reaction out of my life, so it's not one of the things I, I just go to in a weak moment. And, and we even came up with um, some things that, that a, a kind of a plan on how we could maybe stop, I could stop if I noticed that I could stop that behavior earlier if I do slip back into that habit as in a weak moment. Now listen, that process is pretty reasonable, right? And so with us, to our hostage taker, we have a tendency to explain to them the problem and how we feel about it and how that problem is, or their behavior is impacting us and how their behavior is hurting us. And we give them examples and we work really hard in that conversation to be clear so that we can explain what it is that's going on and what we would like to happen instead. Because after all, I mean, that would work for us. But the problem is, they are not, the hostage taker is not reasonable. They are unreasonable. They don't claim responsibility, and they don't change, and they blame instead, and they rationalize instead, and they deny, and they punish. The very fact that you disagree with them is a signal in their mind to either tune you out completely and not listen to you or to go on the, the offense or defense. I don't know what it is, but to, to go after you and to prove you wrong as the enemy. So that would be one example of a, a, a tactic that we use in a hostage-taking relationship. Another would be we give the hostage-taker all of the grace because, hey... The new covenant is full of it. The Bible is chock full of grace. Everywhere you look, grace, grace, grace. It's all over the place, right? So that's what we do. We offer grace. 
And then we offer more grace. And we offer more grace. And when we're completely out of grace, we go and we dig deep and we find a little bit more grace, don't we? We keep offering grace. And we excuse things away and we let the hostage taker and their behavior, we let it off the hook because of grace. Because the Bible's full of it. It's full of grace. But the result, often, with that negotiating tactic is they feel loved, they feel cared for, but there's no reason to make any type of a change to the behavior. Now, the flip side of that, the third example, would be we give them all truth. Because again, the Bible, absolutely full of truth. Everywhere you look, there's truth in the Bible. And so we point out everything that they're doing wrong. We give them the truth, right? Uh, we hammer them with, with truth. You're always doing that. You refuse to do this. You refuse to change. We slam them with more truth. You're wrong. You never get it. You don't listen to me. If you would just do what I'm telling you to do, everything would get better. Truth. But the result, often, they feel condemnation. They feel judgment. And they raise up against it because they don't want your judgment. And what we fail to grasp when we offer grace, 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 and truth, 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 what we often fail to grasp is the actual biblical balance of grace and truth. Because the two have to go together. Yeah. So here's another way that we negotiate with hostage, hostage takers. Uh, number four, we can enable them. In other words, we rescue them from negative consequences of their behavior. Or maybe we uh, just simply do something to lessen the painful side of the consequences. Um, one way we can enable people is just we avoid confronting them. And all of this enabling behavior on our part, it, it's driven by love because, you know, if, if you're wanting to advance this relationship with a hostage taker, then you aren't driven by love. You don't want them to hurt. And so we hope that if we can give them enough love and enough care that eventually they'll see that and they will choose to turn their life around. And so we have a tendency to cover, you know, to, to, to comfort them when they are even in the middle of, of destructive behavior. Or we can cover for them for in front of uh, co-workers and family or friends. We might even pay some of their bills. Um, we can blame ourselves even as an enabler. We can blame ourselves for their behavior by saying, well, I, I guess I did something to provoke them. And all of these responses are responses in the name of love. But here's the problem, because love and enabling... They are not the same thing. We feel like they are, but they're not. Love actually does not help irresponsibility. Love can be loving and have zero tolerance for hostage-taking actions like control and selfishness and manipulation. Here's what enabling does. When I enable someone, it transfers their problem to me. So now I have a double problem and they have no problem at all. 
Enabling is actually protecting them from growing up. Those characteristics, character traits that Cole was talking about, it insulates them and keeps them from developing those character traits that they need to develop, even though they're way late at developing them. And we think that we're being loving, but we're actually helping them ruin their lives as we enable them. Now, that doesn't sound very loving to me. That actually sounds like hating them. Because the right kind of pain may actually help them, not harm them. So if we are held in a hostage situation as a result of irresponsibility, as a result of their irresponsibility, very often um, the fifth way that we negotiate is we keep reminding them. We keep reminding them about things. We remind them. Did you do this? Did you do that? We remind them, did you call this person? We remind them, did you go to this job interview? We remind them, did you go to this place? Another word for that is nagging. We nag them to death. We just continually nag and remind because we assume they just need to be reminded. They just need to be reminded to do the right thing. They just need to be reminded to do the responsible thing. But let's shed a little bit of light on this need to be reminded. So here's some questions. Do they need to be reminded to eat? Do they need to be reminded to play those video games? Do they need to be reminded to go to the store and purchase those cigarettes? No. Why? Because you don't have to be reminded to do things that you think are important. If it's important to you, you'll do it. You don't have to be reminded. I don't have to be reminded to eat. In fact, I'm up here talking to you right now, and in the back of my mind, somewhere, I have in my mind what I'm going to eat for lunch. I don't have to be reminded to eat. I'm thinking about that popcorn that's out there. It's going to be good. I hope there's some left. I hope there's a few bags left, because last week there wasn't any hot dogs when I finished at 11 o'clock. We don't have to be reminded to do the things that are important to us. So reminding and nagging, they don't work. And the reason they don't work is because in that relationship, we become the parent. No matter the age of the hostage taker, we become the parent. We become the authority. And they become more and more and more the child who is rebelling against the parent and the authority to us. And they begin to rebel against the authority to assert their independence. So the behavior, it doesn't get any better. Um, Actually, it gets worse. It gets much worse in many cases as they rebel against you, the parent. Because regardless, and I think for the most part, I think everyone would agree with this. I really believe everyone would agree with this. In any type of an adult relationship, when we're talking about two adults, any adult relationship where it becomes a parent-child relationship, that relationship will deteriorate very quickly. It sure will. So now we move to tactic number six. We threaten them. Um, So we notice or we see a hostage-taking behavior in someone else, and so we threaten them. I mean, we may even get a little angry, and we may yell, you know, I'm going to do this the next time you do that. If you do that again, I'm going to do this. And guess what? It always happens again. And so we threaten them again, and it happens again, and we threaten them again, and again, and again, and we never really consistently follow through with any of those threats. 
Because in the back of our mind, we think that the shock value of that threat will get through to them and they will get it all together. And you know, warnings, they can be good. But a warning without follow through is disastrous. When we uh, deliver to them an empty threat or inconsistent threats, we're training them to ignore us. So here's what we're actually saying. I'm going to blow up right now, but if you'll just hang on for a few uncomfortable moments, if you'll just sit tight and wait it out, you can go back to doing whatever you were doing and nothing's going to happen to you. That's what we're telling them. That is a small price to pay for the freedom to say or do whatever they want. So I've got seven, eight, nine, and these are a little quicker. So if you're taking notes, I would encourage you to kind of, we're going to go relatively quickly through these. Another way that we negotiate with a hostage is we minimize the problem. And I've done this one before. I've I've experienced this one in, in my life. We minimize the problem. It's not that bad. They're not that bad. They, they have so many good qualities about them. They're smart. They're funny. They're fun to be around. They've got a great personality. Man, if they could just take all of their good traits and put them all together, they could be so successful in life if they would just, right? It's not that bad. They're just having a bad day. Another way that we negotiate with a hostage taker is we tell them once and only once because in many cases, and Harley wrote this, not me, so um, I I don't know that this is totally me. Harley put uh, one of the things he said, they would only have to tell us once, and I don't know, I may have to be told two or three But somebody out there. Maybe one time, but me, maybe two or three. (laughs) But we we tell them once and maybe that's it, and we back away because, um, you know, we tell them one time, they don't change, and that's it. We throw our hands up, wash our hands of it, move along. They're not going to change. This one, the ninth hostage negotiation tactic that we often use, this one really kind of hits home for me a little bit more because we spiritualize everything. We, we spiritualize everything. And we spiritualize the problem in three different ways very often. One is we preach to them about what the Bible says. The Bible says you're wrong. So change, right? Another way we get very passive uh, and we just withdraw, and we, we just pray about it. Uh, you know, well, God, I don't know what's wrong with them, but you do, and <laughs> make them better. And it's in your hands now. I can't do anything else, right? And then this one, this one's probably me. We get superior. We are so close to God, and we are so spiritual that we just can't understand or relate to their earthly ways and relate to the decisions, these Uh, damaging choices that they continually make. So practically, we get so heavenly minded in that instance, we get so heavenly minded that we really become no earthly good at all. Yeah. Well, that leads us to our last one for today. Um, We react to them and then blow up. Uh, So we kind of let it slowly build up and we have we get to that point where we've had enough and we react and we blow up again. And it's just kind of a cycle. We slowly build up, we react, we blow up. There's something from that hostage taker, though, that we actually need. That's, that's where the kind of the seed of that comes from. And when they don't give us that, and we need that, we want that, when they don't give it to us, then after a while, 
we don't respond maturely and we respond out of desperation when you say something we need you mean like it could be love it could be it could be an emotional yeah it could be something emotional that we need Uh, we might need support you might need connection i mean it's you know there's something that they're withholding and we need it we want it and it sometimes is almost a weapon they're using that as a weapon and and holding it back and we need that we want it but it could just be from also a dysfunction it, it, you know, out of an addiction or something that they have, and, but they're not able to give us something we need. And it builds up, and we blow up, and we repeat that cycle. Um, and, and in that, when it builds to the point where it blows up, then we don't respond maturely. We respond in that moment out of desperation and with a lot of high emotion, I found myself in that spot a lot. And so with all of these tactics, we kind of feel like any of the 10, these 10, there are many more, as Cole said, but of these common 10 responses, we just kind of feel like we're never making any ground with the hostage taker in this relationship. We try a couple of these methods maybe that are kind of natural to us and they don't work. And then we just say, well, you know what, I've tried everything, and we give up. And we have tried, and true, nothing has worked, and here's why. Because none of these ten things work. All of these methods, all of these methods fail. And all of these methods, they keep us held as a hostage. So basically what you're saying then is when it all boils down to it, we also have a problem. We also have an issue. It's not just the hostage taker that has a problem. It's the hostage. It's, it's me. It's, it's you. It's us. We also have a problem because our methods and our, our problem, or I should say our problem, are the methods that we've been using are, are failed. And they've proven to be failed. I mean, we've, we've picked 10. Maybe some of you are sitting there thinking, wow, I, I hit all 10 of those. I've done all 10 of those. Or maybe you're sitting there thinking, I've only done one or two. But we've probably all been in a relationship or in a situation where we've used at least one of those. And they failed. They're failed methods. But what do we do? We keep on using them, don't we? We just keep on doing the same thing, expecting some different results. And that actually adds to the hostage problem. If we see the hostage taker as 100% at fault, totally 100% at fault, and we see ourselves, the hostage in this relationship, as 100% innocent, we stop any hope of progress. If we refuse to accept any responsibility, we have stopped any hope of progress because our faulty hostage negotiation tactics... They haven't helped. At best, at the very best, they've allowed things to just continue and to just rock on the way that they've been going for weeks, months, years, decades. I don't know. At best, the way we've been handling that relationship, it's just allowing it to just keep on rocking on the way it's been rocking on forever. And at worst... It's allowing that relationship to deteriorate, and sometimes at a very quick pace. So another big point 
as we begin the land this morning, to the extent that we avoid owning our part in the problem as the hostage, my part in the problem, we will continue to be the problem. So I'm going to say that again. To the extent that we avoid owning our part in the problem, we will continue the problem. Hostage takers are much better at holding people hostage than we are at dealing with them. Now, I can't see anybody right now. It is so dark, I don't have a clue. Everybody may be asleep. I don't know. We can't see anything from up here. But I bet you there's a lot of folks right then that just went, "Mm mm-hmm. Hostage takers are a lot better at this game than what we are because they've been doing it for many of them their entire life or at least most of their life. Before we can learn what we need to do, how we need to react, how we need to negotiate, some healthy tactics to help us in these relationships, we first have to recognize what we have done that doesn't work. Yeah. And so that verse that Cole read to us, that there is a way that seems right, a path that seems right, but the end is death. For us this morning, that takeaway is there, there are some reactions, some, some natural tendencies in how we deal with someone who's trying to take us hostage emotionally, and they seem right, they seem like that should work, and they're kind of natural to us. We don't have to think that's just kind of how we respond, but the end of that is going to be the death of a relationship, and that's why we started with this disclaimer today that we need a fresh start with our hostage situations. We need a clean start. In fact, we need to wipe clean uh, our playbook of our responses that do not work. So as Cole said, before we can move on to what works, we need to figure out exactly what we have been doing that does not work in these negotiations. So for this week, as the band is making their way to the front, here's here's where we are landing today. We're asking you to take this step. Here's the first thing. Will you listen to this again? We're going to have this uploaded on SoundCloud. I don't think Facebook Live uh, was functioning this morning. So it will be uploaded on SoundCloud. Will you listen to this again? Because this morning, it very possibly was kind of like trying to drink from a fire hydrant. I mean, we were just pouring out a whole lot of information, and you're just probably trying to grab onto some things as fast as you could. So will you listen again? And here's what we want you to do when you listen to this again. We want you to recognize those hostage negotiation responses that you have been using that don't work. Will you recognize yours? And then here's what I want you to do. Will you write that down? Write down the ones you've been using or text them to yourself. And then this week, will you have a conversation with God about your responses? And here's the second thing. Will you come back next week? You see, this week we wanted to deal with what we have been doing that doesn't work. Next week, we are going to begin 
as we jump into Scripture looking at what can work. We're going to begin teaching you effective hostage negotiation responses. It will be the process, the beginning. We're going to teach you the beginning process of you taking back your power that you have given away. And then you know what we're going to talk about in week three. So next week is week two. Week three, though, we're going to talk about what the Bible says about when is it time to walk away. Big topic. And we're going to finish this series on week number four, and we're going to talk about this, answer this question. But what do we do when we can't walk away? Every single week of the series has potential to move us toward a healthier place that God desires for us in our relationships. Now this morning, as our closing prayer to the teaching, we're going to sing this song. And I just invite you, will you sing this song and the next one to follow, will you sing these with us as your prayer to God? <laughs> 